It's such a, a joy and a privilege to be with you this morning. And um, Brian, thank you for your welcome. And thank you to those I've already seen before the service um, greeting me and um, welcoming me back. It's nice to see so many familiar faces. Stories told of a, a traveller in the Middle Ages who had been exploring alone. When he came across a large worksite in the centre of a village, of course he was eager to find people to chat to. The traveller walked up to a worker at the site and asked him what he was doing. The worker frowned a bit and replied somewhat tersely, can't you see I'm cutting stones? Realising he wasn't going to find any conversation there, the traveller moved on to another worker. He asked the same question. The worker paused for a moment and explained that he was cutting stones so he could support his family. It was obvious he wanted to get back to work as well. So the traveller moved to a third worker and asked the same question. May I ask what you're doing? The worker put down his tools, stood quite tall, looked the traveller in the eye and said with a warm smile, I'm building a cathedral. It will be the tallest and most magnificent structure around. Its beauty will delight people for centuries to come. The stone I'm now working on will go near the front door where people will enter for shelter and community. I'll probably never see the final product, but I know my work is part of something very important. Each worker was doing the same job, but they all had a very different vision of what they were doing and what they were contributing to. And this morning, at the beginning of the year, beginning of 2024, I'd like, to us, I'd like to invite us to lift our eyes to embrace a larger vision of what it means for us to be the church today, to be God's people, to know our identity as his sons and daughters, and know what he's calling us to be and to do in our 21st century context. And to help us do that, we're going to go all the way back to 444 BC. We're going to look at the story of Nehemiah. 444 BC was a time when some of God's people had returned from Babylonian exile to Jerusalem. Years before Nebuchadnezzar had besieged Jerusalem and taken many of the Jews back into Babylon, where they continued to live in exile, away from their homeland. Now some had returned, but Nehemiah himself remained in exile as a cupbearer to the king of Persia. And it's here that Nehemiah hears the news from Jerusalem. The walls of the city had been destroyed, the city lay in ruins, and those who had returned from exile weren't living God's ways. You can imagine how devastating that was for Nehemiah. Perhaps a little bit like Israelis and Palestinians living abroad today who hear news of what's currently happening in Gaza. Nehemiah's heart was broken. His hope shattered. So much so that he sat down and wept. But in his mourning, Nehemiah turns to God. In a heartbreaking situation outside his control, he spends days fasting in confession and prayer. He spends time waiting before God. And through this process of waiting, God was doing a work of preparation in Nehemiah. 
Four months later, the moment came when Nehemiah was provided an opportunity to advance the call of God that was formed in him during that time. In the presence of the king of Persia, Nehemiah, still experiencing sadness of heart, summed up courage and asked the king for permission to go to Jerusalem. In doing so, he was being obedient to God's call to go and rebuild the city. Now back in Jerusalem, Nehemiah realized God's call to rebuild the the walls wasn't something he could bring about himself. You know when you are doing a task and you discover it's too big to do alone, you go and knock on your neighbor's door. Would you mind giving me a hand with this? It was a little bit like that. The call to rebuild the wall required everyone to be involved. So Nehemiah went about getting people to join in and participate, and work began on rebuilding the wall. And that brings us to Nehemiah chapter 4, where I'd like us to focus today. As work begins on rebuilding the walls, we see opposition starts to raise its ugly head. God's ways are not the ways of the world. And when we've been obedient to God's call and joining in his work, opposition and conflict will inevitably follow. In chapter 4, verse 2, we see Sambalat the Horonite begin to ridicule the Jews. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Others too joined in the ridicule and insults. But despite all that opposition, Nehemiah and the people never wavered. They continued to focus on the work with all their heart, rebuilding the wall till it reached half its height all the way around the city. And that was no mean feat. And then we see that they reach a critical time. That time between when God has opened up a vision and it starts to unfold and its final fulfillment. This liminal space, a time in between what was and what is to come. This pivotal time in the middle when it becomes tempting to give up, to become discouraged to lose sight of the goal or at least start feeling like that goal is beyond reach. A little bit like a marathon runner whose body starts to experience a shutdown three quarters of the way through the race. In that moment, the goal seems beyond their physical reach. They just feel like giving up. And in this time when the wall is halfway built right around the city, that's what starts to happen with the people who are rebuilding the wall. The constant ridicule, the negative messages, the threats that even came to their lives. All that external opposition starts to move inwards. It starts to weigh heavily on the people, generating fear and anxiety, robbing them of hope. Verse 10 gives us insights to the effect. The strength of the labourers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. The internal emotions and thoughts start to create doubt. 
A bit like Peter walking on the water towards Jesus until he saw the wind. And then his internal messaging kicked in, filling him with fear. And he began to sink. Perhaps we're feeling a little bit demoralized as we feel the weight of our experiences today. Processing the impact of immense change happening around us. Or the impact COVID has had on us. Maybe even grieving for what we've lost in the past few years is taking its toll. We've perhaps lost sight of the forest for the trees. We may have been excited about what God has laid on our heart, how we were responding to his call. But we've encountered opposition along the way. Even the weight of relational difficulties within a church family that we may carry. Perhaps, like the labourers, the internal messages start to play again. I can't do this. Look at the rubble. There's no way that can be brought to life. There's no hope for change. You might feel like giving up. To be living a life with God's vision before us today is difficult. The context the church finds itself in today in the Western world, more towards its fringes rather than where it has been historically at its centre, carries a sense of alienation and displacement, indifference and despair. And that all weighs heavily upon us, God's people, God's church. Opposition will come as we share in the life of God and live according to his ways. Our response as individuals and as a church in these times is critically important. This time in between what has been for the church and what is emerging. The time between God's call and its final fulfillment when Jesus ushers in the new heaven and new earth. So how are we to respond? Rather than being overwhelmed with anxiousness, with the burdens and negativity, let's see what we can learn from Nehemiah's response. You see, Nehemiah has the gift of leadership. And in this situation where his people are losing heart, he stands up and exhibits his leadership. But it's different to how leadership in our world functions. After putting in place practical measures to prevent his people against physical attack, Nehemiah says this in verse 14. After I looked things over... I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them, referring to the antagonists. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And there are two important factors for us in Nehemiah's response. Firstly, we see Nehemiah reminding the people of God. God was the one that was leading them. He was the one who had called them. And in reminding the people of God, Nehemiah invited them to recall their experiences of God in the past. Remember, he said to the people. Remember those times when God had acted on their behalf. When God had revealed himself to them. Remember, he's a God who can breathe life into dry bones. Despite what Sam Ballot believed, God's able to bring life out of rubble. So Nehemiah reminded them of God. Then the second important factor in his response is this. 
Nehemiah reminds them of what God had called them to. He seeks to re-envision and refocus them. They weren't simply chipping stone. They weren't only rebuilding the physical wall. They were rebuilding their community, rebuilding their lives, reforming this worshipping community that lived by God's word and evidenced his life to the surrounding nations. God had called them to join him in bringing about a far grander vision. And Nehemiah never lost sight of what that vision that God had laid on his heart. It was what drove him, what inspired him, what encouraged him to keep going. He was like that third worker our traveller encountered who carried out the vision of of building a cathedral. In the midst of everything that was going on, all the opposition and intimidation Nehemiah and the people were experiencing, they were fulfilling God's call. And that makes it God's work. It's his name that's at stake. Awareness of that provided Nehemiah the confidence to say in verse 20, our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. And I wonder if in hearing those words, the people were reminded of the great exodus when God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. If we recall, the Israelites, having left Egypt, found themselves trapped at the edge of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army coming down the hill behind them. And Moses says to God's people, Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And we know that God acted miraculously, parting the waters, God opened up this way before them where there was no way. And so as Nehemiah assures the people with similar words, our God will fight for us. It would have instilled a confidence in the people. Our God is with us. He sees us. He will act on our behalf, just as he has done in the past. And in this particular instance, we see God again acting on behalf of his people frustrating the plans of their enemies. The church in the West is experiencing some challenging times as we find ourselves more at the fringe of society. What we value as God's people runs against the flow of culture. The good news is God is doing a new thing. He's renewing and reforming his church and inviting us again to join with him in his mission to make all things new in Christ. The knowledge that God will fight for us is transformational. As we look to God remembering his faithfulness and goodness in the past, it inspires confidence and trust in the present and renewed hope for the future. It's an encouragement to us to stand together, recognizing we're better together and that our God is fighting for us He's fighting for his people. He's fighting for his church because he's fighting for his name. So as we take a moment to look back, as Nehemiah has done with his people, and we remember God, what are the stories that come to mind? I want you to take a moment just to talk with those around you. 
We'll do it a little bit different today. What are the ways you've seen God fight for you as the people of Milford Baptist? It may be individually, but I also want, to think, want you to think of those times you've seen God fight for you as a community. To take time to do that just with those around you, and then in a moment we'll call you back and I'd like to hear a couple of those stories. Is that okay? Another 30 seconds to just to wrap up your conversation. as we reflect back on our lives that we can be aware of the way that God has been at work in the past and, and the way that he has fought for us. Um, I think of this church community which has been in existence for over 100 years and I'm sure there's times that God has been faithful and, and fought for this church um, and there have been those of you who have been involved for the, a longer sense of time um, may be able to recall some of those stories. But are there two or three of you that would just like to um, briefly share a story of how God has fought for you either individually or thinking about the, the church as a whole? Thank you, Rosemary. Our God is good. Our God is great. Our God fights for us. We give him glory. So as we look back and remember, may we also be reminded of the call of God, the call to be his church, to know our identity as his sons and daughters, to be his people sharing in his life, experiencing his love, mercy, grace, compassion, and goodness. This ongoing experience through his spirit shaping us to live differently in relationship with one another. So we're making God visible and known by our life together. A community of varying ages and varying ethnicities drawn together by the spirit of God. For me, this image of a living bridge captures the essence of what it means to be a people of God in community. Living bridges like these are common in northeast India. They're a mishmash of aerial roots tightly knotted and woven together. And over time, the roots grow and strengthen to form a sturdy structure capable of holding many people at once and providing access across great divides. The call of the church today involves us all being part of God's story. It involves us making God known. It involves us becoming living bridges, growing together, being knotted together, 
as we connect and relate and share life experiences together. It involves us becoming the gospel as a community of God's people united together in Christ, his family. In Christ, we're stronger together. We're better together. As we've seen through Nehemiah, embracing God's call requires action from us. We see in verse 17, as work on rebuilding the wall continued, people carried out the work with one hand and held a weapon with the other. This picture of carrying on God's work, but continuing to be prepared for any ongoing opposition. Living bridges don't happen by chance, and they don't happen overnight. Each bridge takes decades of work. As the aerial roots grow, they're intentionally woven together, growing and strengthening to form a stable bridge structure over time. It takes a collective effort of families and sometimes entire villages to care and develop the bridges. It's the same with us in forming a community of God's people. God, through the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and ongoing ministry of Christ through the Holy Spirit, is weaving his world together as a living community. But it still requires an intentional collective effort to be living God's ways, growing in his likeness, living out the one another instructions of the New Testament, encourage one another, build one another up, bear with one another, forgive one another, be patient with one another, don't grumble against one another, Confess your sins to each other. Serve one another. Pray for each other. Love one another. Just some of the 59 one another instructions we see through the New Testament. It may at times feel like we're just chipping stone. But as we engage in those one another practices with the grander vision of God's kingdom before us, We provide space for God to speak to us and to shape our lives as his people. We provide God the opportunity to renew the life of his church. We see through the rest of Nehemiah that he and the people end up completing the wall and rebuilding their community. It doesn't come easy. They continue to encounter opposition both within their own community and from those enemies outside. But as the wall was completed, there was recognition that it had been done with the help of God. God was given the glory. Once the wall had been completed, Nehemiah led a reform as people returned to Jerusalem. He encouraged them to be living lives honoring of God, which included telling the stories of God's faithfulness, righteousness, and goodness through all that had happened in their past. It included the reading of the law, prayer and worship, lament, confession, justice for the people, renewing of covenant relationship with God. And Nehemiah helped draw the people back to God, encouraging practices that would form a community, living according to God's ways. It was an outworking of that vision that God had given Nehemiah right at the beginning as he'd waited and fasted and trusted God when he first heard that news about the state of Jerusalem. 
amid all that's going on in our world. God is at work in rebuilding, renewing, and reforming his church. He is doing a new thing. He's calling each of us to join in and be part of what he's doing, shaping us relationally that we may evidence more of him and his love for us to the world. There are fellow travellers today looking for purpose, meaning of life and community, and they're asking, what are you doing? Where's God? The answer to that question lies with the church. It lies with us. As we embrace the new work of God, people will be able to point and say, look, look at that church. Look at those people. See how they love. See, there's God. God at work in the lives of our community, helping us to share in that love and to thrive as his people. We may not see the fruit of all that God is doing through us, but as we chip away at our stones, we can be confident that we're contributing to an eternal purpose that will be greater than any of us can ever imagine. That vision before us, when God ushers in the new heaven and new earth, and we'll be in his glorious presence forevermore. What a vision, what a hope. It's a vision worth giving our lives to, remembering amid opposition that God is fighting for us. May we continue to live with his call before us, a vision of his people living for the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the stories that are contained in your written word. Stories of your greatness, of your faithfulness, of you at work in the life of your people. And Lord, we recognize that they're not just stories that we can look back on in the past, but they're actually stories that continue in our lives today. And many of us have situations and stories and testimonies of the way that you have been faithful that you have revealed your presence, that you have opened up ways in our lives where there has been no other way. And so, Lord, we give you thanks and honour and praise, and we offer our worship to you for the way that you are at work, for who you are as our living God. And, Lord, as we reflect on the message this morning, we carry before us that hope that you will continue to be at work by your spirit, drawing us together as your people, shaping us to be a community that is giving testimony to the gospel message, a message of goodness and life and of grace and of hope and ultimately of the love that we find in you. So Lord, may your spirit continue to be at work in this community May the testimonies, may the stories of you being present and of you being active continue to arise from the life of this community. 
May the way they live be a visible testimony of your love and your grace and your spirit's work in their midst. And we pray that this community here, this church, your people, would be a living testimony of who you are and your love for them and for the world. May your blessing be upon them. May they live with the hope of what lies before them. And may they bring glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our call to worship this morning was the words of Isaiah 40, 28 to 31, and I'm going to read them again. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is our God. This is the one who fights for us. May our hope be in him. Our final song this morning is Seek Ye First the Kingdom of Heaven. A perfect response to the message we've just heard.